Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Oklahoma Life. My name is Brandon Hines, and today we're going to have some fun. Um, it is November 5th, and one of my favorite movies of all time is V for Vendetta. So I'm going to start out with a quick little uh, clip from that movie. And if you don't know what it's about or have never heard of it, um, I will easily say you are missing out. So I'm going to turn up the volume, and I just want you to listen. That's all I really need right now. So, catch up on what's going on. There's somebody in the background um, putting on an ad. Good evening, I do, like many of you, appreciate the comforts of the everyday routine, the security of the familiar, the tranquility, repetition, enjoy them as much as any bloke. But in a spirit of commemoration, whereby those important events of the past usually associated with someone's death or the end of some awful bloody struggle or as celebrated with a nice holiday. I thought we could mark this November the 5th, a day that is sadly no longer remembered, by taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Let me think, just let me think. Even now, orders are being shouted into telephones and men with guns will soon be on their way. It's time to set that. Damn it! Why? Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words are for the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? You designed it, sir. You wanted it foolproof. You told me every television in London. Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have sensors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and surveilling your submission. We cameras. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and in your panic you turned to the now High Chancellor Adam Sattler. He promised you order, he promised you peace, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. Inspector, we're almost through. Last night I sought to end that silence. Last night I destroyed the old Bailey to remind this country of what it has forgotten. More than 400 years ago, a great citizen wished to embed the 5th of November forever in our memory. His hope was to remind the world that fairness, justice, and freedom are more than words. They are perspectives. So if you've seen nothing, if the crimes of this government remain unknown to you, then I would suggest that you allow the 5th of November to pass unmarked. But if you see what I see, if you feel as I feel, and if you would seek as I seek, then I ask you to stand beside me one year from tonight, outside the gates of Parliament, 
And together we shall give them a 5th of November that shall never, ever be forgotten. This is my Alright, so... Yep, and there's Ben Teller, my pupils. So, when you're talking about the 5th of November... Um, they're talking about Guy Fox. So back in high school, we did a class, and it was uh, Guy Fox Day, um, which is 5th of November, which is a gentleman who attempted to blow up Parliament. So anybody that doesn't know, um, Parliament is basically the Congress of um, you know the, the Great Britain Empire, the Great British Empire, I think is what uh, the class was. And it was really interesting to me that um, this wasn't really touched too much uh, in the class itself. And the entire idea is that, like, they actually make little uh, dolls that they burn in effigy for the event itself. And um, it, it all comes back to a very, very simple idea of um, the government should you know, respect and, and follow the will of the people, in which case Guy Fox didn't feel that way. He was going to blow up par Parliament and everybody within it, in which case nowadays I see that being a very, very simple, common sentiment for everybody. And V Vendetta is a movie that uh, mirrors that in a very, very heavy uh, way, you know, and one of my favorite uh, scenes is the guy introducing himself is V. And the quick rundown is basically this, is um, he really, really experienced injustice throughout his life. Um, and as he kind of goes through things and, and um, gets experimented on and all kinds of different pieces and parts, there's a story that's told. And as the story is told, it kind of gives a little bit of justice to this individual as to why things would have happened, how they happened, how they could have happened. And the question really just comes back to, again, if the government gets too much power, can you trust the government to do the right things? Um, and in this movie, they cannot be trusted. Um, and... One of my favorite scenes of this um, is the story that's actually told uh, from V in disguise. They don't know he's actually in disguise. He tells the story of, um, you know, what actually happened and how it actually came to be. And as you listen to it, it's not far steps. These aren't huge, like, massive, this couldn't happen things. These are things that you go okay, yeah, I could see that small step and that small step and that small step, but 20 small steps increases into a huge step. So we're going to play that. In which case, of course, we always get a uh, ad of some kind. Yeah, I don't know that guy. Okay, cool. Bye, buddy. So this is whenever um, there's a couple of detectives trying to figure things out, and one of the detectives is 100% pro-government. The other guy... Um, is a free thinker. I don't say he's anti-government. I don't say he's pro-government or anything like that. But he does ask the question later on in the movie is that um, if the government is responsible for some of the worst attacks in our current history, would you want to know about it? If they self-inflicted these things, would you want to know? And that's really the real question for this entire movie. Um, and then this is, you know, it, it plays into, yes, we want to know and we want to do something about it. But this is a really interesting piece. So we're going to play this this clip, and he's going to tell the story about all these atrocities that happened, why they happened, how they happened, 
Um, and it, it honestly sets the scene way deeper than anything else that I can say. That's close enough, Inspector. We're not wired. I'm sorry, but a man in my position survives by taking every precaution. You have information for us. No, you already have the information. All the names and dates are inside your head. What you want, what you really need, is a story. A story can be true or false. I leave such judgments to you, Inspector. Our story begins, as these stories often do, with a young up-and-coming politician. He's a deeply religious man and a member of the Conservative Party. He's completely single-minded and has no regard for political process. The more power he attains, the more obvious his zealotry and the more aggressive his supporters become. Eventually, his party launches a special project in the name of national security. At first, it's believed to be a search for biological weapons, and it's pursued without regard to its cost. However, the true goal of this project is power, complete and total hegemonic domination. The project, however, ends violently. But the efforts of those involved are not in vain, and the new ability to wage war is born from the blood of one of the victims. Imagine a virus, the most terrifying virus you can, and then imagine that you and you alone have the cure. But if your ultimate goal is power, how best to use such a weapon? It's at this point in our story that along comes a spider. He is a man seemingly without a conscience, for whom the ends always justify the means, and it is he who suggests that their target should not be an enemy of the country, but rather the country itself. Three targets are chosen to maximize the effect of the attack, a school, a tube station, and a water treatment plant. Several hundred die within the first few weeks. That Three Waters has, in fact, been contaminated. Authorities are attempting to control its deadly spread. There's a wave of destruction throughout the underground. Fueled by the media, fear and panic spread quickly, fracturing and dividing the country until at last the true goal comes into view. Before St. Mary's crisis, no one would have predicted the results of the election that year, no one. And then not long after the election, lo and behold, a miracle. Some believed it was the work of God himself, but it was a pharmaceutical company controlled by certain party members that made them all obscenely rich. A year later, several extremists were tried, found guilty and executed while a memorial is built to canonize their victims. But the end result, the true genius of the plan, was the fear. Fear became the ultimate tool of this government, and through it, our politician was ultimately appointed to the newly created position of High Chancellor. The rest, as they say, is history. Can you prove any of this? Why do you think I'm still alive? Right. We'd like to take you into protective custody, Mr. Rookwood. Oh, I'm sure you would. But if you want that recording, you'll do what I tell you to do. I put Creedy under 24-hour surveillance. When I feel safe that he can't pick his nose without you knowing, I'll contact you again. Till then, cheerio. Rookwood. Why didn't you come forward before? 
What were you waiting for? Well, for you, Inspector. I needed you. All right. So, let me turn that back down a little bit. Um, very interesting point. Just the entire movie, number one. Um, but the question just comes back very quickly is that whether or not um, a government would attack its own people for political gain. And the answer is yes, right? And I say that without like trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist, which I hate. I've talked about that before. Um, in reality, in Cuba, um, we actually had planned uh, attacks on ourselves um, to make Cuba look like the bad guy. This happened back in the 60s. This is open knowledge nowadays. It absolutely could happen, right? So if you are trying to you know, uh, impact in a massive way, like what this movie is suggesting— Right. If you create a virus and you alone have the cure um, and you unleash the virus, you know, surreptitiously and then you get elected through power or whatever, and then you all of a sudden have a cure, um, people are going to flip shit for you. Um, and it's just a really interesting theory that I think a lot of people don't understand how, how deep it really goes. So myself, I'm not, I'm in a weird spot. Um, so 9-11 is a great example of this, right? So we know the government has done this kind of thing before, and there's certain things about 9-11 that don't make any sense, right? Um, and, I, and I say that not like, oh, I'm unpatriotic. Like, I did my time in Afghanistan. I went to war. I did this entire thing, right? This is an excuse. This is just like, I'm going to take a look at the big picture and try to understand it, right? So two things don't make sense to me. So 9-11, let's say it did happen. Let's say it happened exactly as the uh, reports are written, which is always bullshit. It doesn't matter if it's 9-11 or if it's anything else. Um, you're never 100% correct. It's simple. You're just not, right? So... Let's talk about um, what happened on 9-11 itself. So you have um, four generally separate things happen. Number one, tower number one was hit. Tower number two was hit, right? So the Twin Towers both were hit by two different things. Number three, the Pentagon was hit. And number four, there was a plane, uh, Flight 93, that was stopped and dropped into a field accordingly, you know, because people overpowered um, the, the uh, terrorists and blah, blah, blah. Here are the issues I run into. Um, on 9-11, um, Tower 7 also fell. So you have an extra tower that fell um, that they say was tagged with uh, debris from the first tower that fell and uh, burned up from the inside and blah, 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 blah. Um, bullshit. Right, I'm calling bullshit. If it cannot withstand small fires, no jets hit it, nothing, uh, and it's designed to completely collapse, uh, damn near free fall, without being hit by any kind of external forces, that's bullshit. Um, you can look it up, look at all the math, you're going to have a lot of conspiracy pieces, because a lot of people don't even know three towers fell on that day. They know about the twin towers, a lot of people don't know about the third. So, number one, that's bullshit. 
Um, number two, if you look at the Pentagon, there's no plane wreckage, right? If a plane hit the Pentagon, you would have wings and a fuselage, and you'd have a tail section. All that would be noticeable in the impact areas. None of those are there, right? And that's not me trying to, like, say, oh, guys, you know what? It's a conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. The fact is, if a plane hit anything in that range, you would have more parts. Uh, the official story is the plane was completely demolished where nothing was recognizable within the Pentagon itself. Bullshit. Bullshit. Those things are designed to go hundreds of miles an hour and do all kinds of crazy. There would be something left somewhere. There are no pictures of anything anywhere. Flight 93 crash in a field. Also no pictures. There's an engine picture that accordingly was buried. Where's the rest of the plane? There are no fucking pictures anywhere. So the question is what really happened? And the answer is, I don't know, right? Like I don't have firsthand knowledge, so I can't say without a doubt, hundred percent, this happened. Right, But what I can say is that I don't trust the official report. I think the official report is bullshit. And V for Vendetta has always, to me, resonated back to that original concept of if the government really did do something, do you want to know about it? My answer is yes. A lot of people say no. Right, I'd rather live um, without having that knowledge you know, and, and have a free conscience versus having the knowledge and have to worry about whether or not the government is doing the right thing. And I've always hated that. Um, I am the guy that I want the real truth of it, even if um, a few good men, that scene and a few good men were, you can't handle the truth. Um, you know what? I'd rather not be able to handle the truth and know it. Um, some people go insane by it. I myself, I don't think I would. So I, the things that kill me, about the 5th of November is I always go back into that, um, you know, 9-11 conspiracy theory, which, again, I hate the term conspiracy theory. Only reason being is that two people committing a crime is a conspiracy. A theory is how they did it. Um, so the question is, you know, is it a conspiracy theory? Do I think more than two people committed the crime? Yes. Uh, do we know how we how they did it? Uh, not as, not specifically, but, uh, I can come up with a theory. So my conspiracy theorist, technically, fuck yeah, I am. Um, do I think it's a hundred percent false? No. Um, do I think there are certain pieces and parts that also don't line up? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so back to V for Vendetta, why I love this movie so much. So you have the speech about, like, hey, will you join me in a year from here to try and stop corruption? And then you have the other scene where he's trying to tell the story about, you know what? This is why all of this stuff actually happened. Um, but at the same time, there's a redemption story that goes within it. Um, you have Evie and V, right? And it's not—I don't want to call it a love story— um, it's truly a redemption story. So Evie is kind of a mindless person who is um, doing whatever she needs to do. And then all of a sudden she gets mixed up in this thing. And then she's starting to find that she has opinions that she didn't know that she had. Um, she's, she's doing things she didn't know that she should have been doing. Um, and it just kind of all goes all over the place. 
and she doesn't understand why she is she's standing up for things the way she should. Um, and it's, it's just an interesting uh, dynamic that's there. And then um, they kind of go into other areas. You know, they talk about like they don't they don't call it out by name, but like um, there's a, a priest that is into young children. The younger, the better, kind of thing. So they start getting into um, how um, you know the corruption within the churches and like specifically the Catholic Church had a lot of issues with this. And even though she she poses this to try and like warn this guy, um, he thinks it's a sex game and he's wanting to have sex with a child and it's completely fucked up. So you can't feel bad for V killing this guy. Um, and then there's the letter that um, so he grows these roses called Scarlet Carsons, and he goes through this entire thing um, because of a letter that he received while basically being locked up. And the girl's name is Valerie, and she uh, basically is a lesbian actor, gay actor, um, whatever you want to call it, and um, becomes persecuted for it. And that, that persecution... Um, you know, resonates in a way with him where, like, it's a revenge story for him. Um, it kind of validates the reasons that he does what he does, um, which I actually, it's right here, I'll play it real quick, just so people can understand um, a little bit more in depth, is, you know, I always say you don't really know until you've lived it, and I don't really know what persecution is like. Um, I unfortunately have this privilege to not have to know. Um, and I don't want to say, like, oh, I want to know. Um, but, like, you can't really fully understand a subject till you lived it. So I can theoretically get it, but I still don't get it, you know? So we're going to play this. We're probably going to have an ad real quick. Uh, yep, this is The Outer Worlds, which I'm not playing. So we're going to skip that. All right, here's Valerie's letter. Um, really interesting piece. I know there's no way I can convince you this is not one of their tricks, but I don't care. I am me. My name is Valerie. I don't think I'll live much longer, and I wanted to tell someone about my life. This is the only autobiography that I will ever write. Thank God. I'm writing it on toilet paper. I was born in Nottingham in 1985. I don't remember much of those early years. But I do remember the rain. My grandmother owned a farm in Tottlebrook, and she used to tell me that God was in the rain. I passed my 11 plus and went to a girl's grammar. It was at school that I met my first girlfriend. Her name was Sarah. It was her wrists. They were beautiful. I thought we would love each other forever. I remember our teacher telling us that it was an adolescent phase that people outgrew. Sarah did. I didn't. In 2002, I fell in love with a girl named Christina. That year, I came out to my parents. I couldn't have done it without Chris holding my hand. My father wouldn't look at me. He told me to go and never come back. My mother said nothing. Not only told them the truth, was that so selfish? Our integrity sells for so little, but it is all we really have. It is the very last inch of us. But within that inch, we are free. 
I'd always known what I wanted to do with my life. And in 2015, I starred in my first film, The Salt Flats. It was the most important role of my life, not because of my career, but because that was how I met Ruth. The first time we kissed, I knew I never wanted to kiss any other lips but hers again. We moved to a small flat in London together. She grew scarlet castles for me in our window box, and our place always smelt of roses. Those were the best years of my life. But America's war grew worse and worse, and eventually came to London. It's a bill proposed by the Under Secretary for Defence, Adam Sutler, to close the remaining tube stations past with their universal. After that, there were no roses anymore. I remember how the meaning of words began to change. How unfamiliar words like collateral and rendition became frightening. While things like Norsefire and the Articles of Allegiance became powerful. I remember how different became dangerous. I still don't understand it. Why they hate us so much. They took Ruth while she was out buying food. I've never cried so hard in my life. It wasn't long till they came for me. It seems strange that my life should end in such a terrible place. But for three years, I had roses and apologized to no one. I shall die here. Every inch of me shall perish. Every inch but one. An inch. It is small and it is fragile and it is the only thing in the world worth having. We must never lose it or give it away. We must never let them take it from us. I hope that whoever you are, you escape this place. I hope that the world turns and that things get better. But what I hope most of all is that you understand what I mean when I tell you that even though I do not know you, and even though I may never meet you, laugh with you, cry with you, or kiss you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you. Valerie. You know, honestly, this is going to be a, uh, a hard thing for a lot of people to sell. This is probably the most influential movie, I think, of of the last decade or more. Because it touches on so many heavy topics that um, just get ignored left and right. Um, you know, even watching that clip again, it makes me realize how ahead of its time it was. This movie is 13 years old. When they were talking about 2015, that's four years ago. Um, we're still at war, the U.S. is. Um, on top of that, you know, 
um, the LGBTQ um, community is still fighting for rights. Um, that's insane to me. You know, when I listen to that that small excerpt, um, and she talks about, you know, we still had roses. Um, it, it's that small part in their life that was perfect, or even if it's not perfect, it was happy. You know, I've never been persecuted. I've never had to worry about, um, am I going to be taken away, or am I going to be uh, punished for the color of my skin or my sexual orientation? Am I going to be prevented from doing something because of that? But, you know, I have enough empathy to understand that that matters way more to people that don't have the same luxuries that I do. Um, and it's just nuts. It's absolutely insane to think about um, really how how deep that goes. Um, if you've never seen this movie, it uh, it's just nuts, man. It it hits so hard in so many places. You know, it's political. There's religious. There's gay rights. There's human rights. There's there's everything that currently matters. And from a movie that's you know significantly. Um, past its mark at this point, 13 years when it came out. I think it was underappreciated then. I think it's just, like, incredibly underappreciated now. Um, it's just, it's one of these movies that I think everybody needs, I think they could teach a class on this fucking movie. I think it's a that good. Um, and it's just, man, I keep going back to that that scene that just we watched and um yeah man it's nuts it it hits so many points that matter um so many so many deep spots where you go oh god that's that makes sense you know and even on the lighter side it's it's fun you know like i want to play this this um introductory monologue real quick just because it's so good um him explaining who he is of what and what I am is a man in a mask. Well, I can see that. Of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking upon the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. Oh, right. But on this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of the more commonplace sobriquet, to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and villain vermin, vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. <laughs> Verdict is vengeance, a vendetta, held as a votive, not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. <laughs> Verily, this vicious soise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me V. 
Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. But to whom might I ask am I speaking? I'm Evie. Evie? Evie. Of course you are. What does that mean? It means that I, like God, do not play with dice and do not believe in coincidence. Are you hurt? No, I'm fine. Next to you. Oh, I merely played my part. But tell me, do you enjoy music, Evie? I suppose. Man. And it doesn't even go into the next part, which is actually really good, too. So, I'm going to end that part. Oh, there is a random commercial once again. Um, I'm going to end that with that uh, aspect, and I will tell you, if nothing else, um, send me a message if you've never seen the movie and uh, you're not really uh, sure whether or not that's a good thing for you. I will fucking buy it for you. I have no qualms in doing so. I'm not loaded by any means, but I definitely think that as one of the best movies of our time, probably, in my opinion, um, the most relevant movie of our time, uh, everybody needs to see it. Everybody needs to understand it. And once you do see it and understand it, hopefully you learn from it. And as long as you can learn from it, everything else moves forward. So uh, thank you for listening to your rant about uh, V Vendetta. Um, great fucking movie. Uh, be better people.